This episode of Burn the Haystack is sponsored, somewhat ironically, by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to thehaystack.org. The Haystack, life, culture, theology. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about helping you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. You are correct. <laughs> man, I don't know about you, man, but it just feels like there is a there's just so much going on right now in the world. It just feels like a tumultuous time to be alive. It does. That's a good word to describe it. It's been pretty crazy. Like my newsfeed on Facebook and stuff and even on Reddit, it's just been bonkers over the last couple of weeks. Oh, it's just been insane. And of course, the big sort of thing right now, I suppose, which I kind of feel bad that we didn't address it in last week's episode. We record episodes ahead of schedule and then we publish them. But I don't know. I, I feel like I and everybody else here in New Zealand was really caught up with everything that was happening in Christchurch. Um the week before last on, yeah. on that Friday. It was just insane. Yeah, I, I totally forgot we even had an episode coming out, to be honest. I was so focused on what was going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did just want to... Um, yeah, we just wanted to talk about what happened in Christchurch on um, on the 15th of March. Um, it's... And I know this is starting on such like a hard note. For yeah. <laughs> a podcast is normally... Yeah, but we, I don't know. We just... Um, it really hit. It really hit everybody in New Zealand hard. New Zealand is a really tight, ki- tight knit community. And if you haven't heard, um, I don't know how you couldn't have heard, but basically there was a um, a terrorist attack here in New Zealand, which has basically never happened before. I think it was twenty twenty nine thirty years ago was the last mass shooting, and that was for a completely unrelated reason. It wasn't like a mass shooting like a Columbine. It was yeah different. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, basically a guy went into a mosque in Christchurch and just shot up. Um, yeah, oh, there were two two shootings at two different mosques, and yeah, so um, I think the current count is that fifty people have yeah, passed away. Yeah, um, and there are more who were injured. Um, it's just horrible. So, yeah. um, an Australian guy, <laughs> as well. Well, yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's just he w- he was living here, and he was I don't know how he how he got so radicalized. Um, yeah. But yeah, we just wanted to, I guess, take some time to just say that um, hey, we've been praying for everybody who's been affected by it, um, praying for all the families. Um, you know, there's people in my church who knew people down there, and, and so it's, um, yeah. One of my church members, um, he has an uncle who converted to Islam when he married the the woman who is now sort of my, my church member's auntie, and um, that, that was their mosque. Oh, wow. And um, it was just out of pure coincidence, or perhaps not coincidence, that they chose not to go to that their mosque for prayer that day, them and their entire family. So when it was happening, he was just texting and calling back forth his family because they were all super worried. Um, but yeah, it really, it was, I think, miraculous um, that, uh, that, that they were, were safe. But obviously, there are, there are so many people who... He didn't have that that sort of luck, and yeah, it it just felt like. I mean, I was preaching the day after. It was a Friday. I was preaching on the Saturday morning. 
in my church and we were doing communion. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I tell you what, it was probably one of the most somber, solemn, um, sobering uh, communions I've ever, I've ever been a part of. Yeah, wow. Well, it yeah. just felt like for that weekend, there was like a, a cloud over all of New Zealand. Like yeah. Depression and just sadness and loss and grief. Yeah, everybody, every, like literally everybody I talked to was just not the same. Um, and you know what's interesting actually? Our church was supposed to do communion that day. Um, coincidentally, we <laughs> had communion scheduled on the same day. Yeah. Um, and I remember waking up that morning and thinking to myself, like on, on Saturday morning after this whole thing had happened, and I remember thinking to myself like, man, it doesn't feel right to do communion today. Um, I don't know why, I just kept thinking about it. But I thought, oh no, it's too much work. I'm sure the deacons and deaconesses have already done all this so I can't really change it. Anyway, I got a phone call from the elder on duty that day. And she's like, hey, so somehow there's a miscommunication and nobody knew it was communion today. So oh. nothing's been set up. And I was like, oh, okay. So I changed the whole message and everything. And wow. Yeah. But it, I think it ended up being kind of what God wanted in the end. Like it was, yeah, I don't know. We got to go in a, yeah. a bit of a different direction that I yeah. felt was right for our, our church and community that day. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it was really bittersweet for us to take communion because the whole message of communion is hope, you know? Yeah. It's like, well, obviously, it's really tragic what Jesus went through, and we remember through the bread and through the wine, the breaking of the body and the, the shedding of the blood, and then the hope that we have in that. And it's and it was, it, yeah, just that that tone of what had happened, the senselessness of the killing was really, I think, the thing that, made it so just hard just hard yeah you know because we can look at jesus and and the whole communion service and go well yeah what jesus went through and what he suffered was brutal but it all had a purpose whereas this it, there was no purpose yeah there was no rhyme like i'm sure the shooter i mean he had this huge manifesto i haven't read it i haven't I'm watched the videos yeah. I, I don't want to i don't need to we don't need to share his name i hope that he disappears from the pages of history yep me too but to everybody else it is senseless it is purposeless there is no meaning there is no reason there is no silver lining in all this it's just a tragedy yeah um however having said all of that i have been really encouraged and i know a lot of new zealanders have been really encouraged and the rest of the world have been really encouraged by not just the government response here uh, our prime minister jacinda ardern but just the outpouring of love um that our whole country seems to have unleashed on these these the victims and the the families of their victims yeah um so and i'll tell you what like um as far as the leadership lessons Jacinda Ardern, I know she doesn't listen and I don't think anybody connected to her would listen to this, but um, her leadership during this time has been phenomenal. Yeah. I've seen so many people who they don't, they didn't, you know, they're not, she's not the kind of prime minister they wanted. They don't vote for her party, but everybody is saying how amazing her leadership during this whole thing has been. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to really affirm that, um, that there's just been incredible um, things happening here in response to this whole thing. And I think it's actually bringing so many people closer together and showing the real love or like aroha in, mm. in New Zealand and mm. the manakitanga, you know, which mm. is like hospitality. Um, it's all really showing during this time. Mm. Um, yeah, the actual real cultural values of New Zealand. It's Actually, this is what New Zealand is. 
Yeah. You know, that's be- and that's beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's love and it's a it's yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's just something we wanted to start off the podcast with today and it mm. will actually be tying into a little bit about what we're talking to today. Um, yeah. Yeah, it will be. It's interesting how these sort of like we've this this topic that we want to talk about today is something that I've brought up and I think we've been talking about it for about a month now and we just haven't had the time um, as scheduled to be able to actually talk about it. But what's happened in Christchurch has kind of really, I think, illustrated and coloured the way this, this topic. Um, so there's going to be a few big words and big phrases and ideas thrown about and I, I want to... We, we want to make sure that this is easy and accessible because I think it is important. Um, but I guess the, the two big words, and it's a title that really is the, the key to this whole discussion, is the idea of moral relativism. Yeah, prob- probably should uh, unpack that because this is one of yeah. those things. W- I think it, it's one of those things that like a pastors hear a lot about, but it never really seeps through to most of the rest of our church congregate church really yes (laughs) um and we hear about it so many times when we go to um you know pastors gatherings or we have training or that kind of thing you always hear about these kind of concepts um and i've always wanted to look at like ways that we can bring this sort of stuff to the surface so everybody can know a bit about it and so that's what we're sort of doing today um but yeah so jesse break for us what's the easiest way you can um unpack what what uh a kind of moral relativi- moral relativism. relativism you could say moral relativity as well okay i yeah. wasn't sure if that was correct terminology I, probably, I had a I th- it, it may, <laughs> may not be i'm not sure yeah yeah yeah. okay what, what, do you, what does it mean okay so this is the way that most people will probably get introduced to it by um a pastor or an evangelist who will be talking about what the culture is like in this day and age, the 21st century. And they will say something like, the culture that we live in is morally relativistic or what's good for me may not necessarily be good for you. You have your truth, I have my truth and let's just have our truths. Let's not let them um, overlap or let's not talk about it because to talk about it or to evangelize, to proselytize, to try and convince you that your truth is inferior to my truth, that you should actually take on my truth, is not a good thing. And so what you'll hear is you'll hear pastors and evangelists especially talk about this in terms of how degraded the culture is. Hmm. Because to me being a straight white Christian God-fearing male is fine but I don't have the right to tell a person of color um, lesbian or gay person from a different culture who may be Islamic or Buddhist that what they believe or what they practice is wrong so that's not my place that's the moral relativism argument that as long as we have our truths and as long as we operate and love and respect each other, then everything's okay. And we just have to be in our bubbles, not offending or interfering with anybody else's belief. Right. So basically, I guess the the fear would be that there would be no standard for a whole society. This, like is, this is correct. Everybody would just do their own thing and eventually this would what just devolve into total chaos. Am I allowed to say devolve? 
<laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to say evolve, but you can say devolve. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah, just for we got in trouble once for saying evolve. It was really <laughs> random, but we'll <laughs> maybe we'll share about that on another podcast. It's a uh, different story, it's but very funny. Yeah, um, yeah. So basically, I guess that would be the fear that yeah, everybody would just go their own way, and then before you know it. Everybody's smoking crack and killing each other and it's the purge, but every day or whatever. Exactly. That's the fear because a lot of conservative Christians, especially from the West, have this worldview. Well, no, yeah, it's a worldview, I suppose, that the West especially has been constructed on a Judeo-Christian framework, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this, so we have the Catholic Church, which came out of the early church, which then came into the, the, the Protestant Reformation, which gave birth to the um, Protestant religions and evangelicism that we have today. And they believe that society that we know of today was built on that framework, which to a certain degree is correct. Yeah, I would say that it's not like it's an unfounded truth. Like it, no, I, I think there's no. a, lot of, um, a lot of truth to it. But yeah, there is some of it that you could probably... Yeah. yeah, there's some wiggle room in there, yeah. <laughs> so, from a purely historical point of view, the church in the first century, the Apostle Paul, most historians will agree that the Apostle Paul probably had the most influence in the Western world in shaping modern culture than any other single person um, in the first century that we know of from a historical mm-hmm. standpoint. And that's due to the fact that the Apostle Paul was one of the most rabid um, church planters, evangelists, in any religious order. He just went around the Mediterranean Rim, Asia and Europe, and many of his apostles and his followers did the same, preaching and teaching about Christianity and the growth of Christianity, of course, is what influenced the Roman Empire to where Constantine, um, who at that time the Roman Empire had split into the East and the West, Constantine legalized Christianity and then Christianity became the state religion, which then created essentially the era of the, the middle ages but a bing but a boom i mean it's just simple math really <laughs> <laughs> nothing complicated oh, yeah. about it at all it's, it's funny though i mean a lot of um adventists like i don't know when you, when you hear it, they, they do a lot of hate for constantine yeah but at the same time if constantine didn't make christianity mainstream it yeah, probably would have struggled to make it overseas yeah, exactly. Really. So we have a lot to thank Constantine for, as uh, yeah, yeah, as much as we like to bash him. Yeah, I mean, he did do a lot of damage. But <laughs> this is true. This yep. is true. Yep. Um, so what all the so that's that's the sort of historical basis. But unfortunately, what we've done as a Western culture, especially Western Christianity, is we have conflated a lot of stuff that isn't Christian with the actual Christian stuff. Okay. So, for example, things like family values, the sanctity of marriage, which is definitely a good biblical principle, but it's not the integral part of the biblical story that a lot of people pretend it is. What do you mean by that? Okay. Yeah. So, things like sexual identi- uh, sexual orientation, yep. um, the, the family unit, um, that sort of stuff... We often forget that when especially the New Testament writers are speaking about families, they're speaking into family life, which looks very different to what um, modern family life looks like. Yep. 
for instance, in the first century, it would have been very common for a powerful Roman or Greek person to have multiple wives, one for pleasure, one for bearing children, one for companionship. It would have been very common for them to have a slave boy that they had purely for, for sex or something like that. Messed up. It, oh, yeah. It's Horrible. super messed up to us. But when Paul talks in, in um, Ephesians 5 about husbands love your wives and then give yourselves as a sacrifice in the same way that Christ sacrificed for the church, that's a very different picture to what marriage looked like in the first century. And so when we take that, we read it in a very um, 21st century lens. Yeah, yeah. When in fact, probably if Paul was in the 21st century preaching about marriage, he may have said things a little bit differently because it would have been not speaking into the culture that he was speaking into. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. And that's just one aspect of it. There's other things like if you're an American, a lot of the times being Christian means being conservative or Republican. Um, if you're, uh, and, and again, this is this comes to America a lot because America kind of influences a lot of the where the rest of the Western church kind of gets its, a lot of where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's now become fairly common that if you are, um, Christian, you are anti-abortion, right? And and um, there is a slew of things which go along with being Christian that ne- not ne- don't necessarily have biblical roots. And again, it's not saying that these things are bad. I'm all for marriage. I'm all for you know the marriage unit. I am all for um, life not being you know wasted. Uh, needlessly Um, but unfortunately a lot of the time what it's also included is things like well we're we're anti-abortion but we're pro-guns and we're pro-war so we we can't we can't deal with um, children being killed in the womb but we're happy to send them overseas to Afghanistan if it means that our government gets oil or if we get to make America into the great nation that it is (laughs) Um, this is very political, Jesse. <laughs> it is very political. It is yeah. very political. And this whole thing is is very political because this is about the way that society is. And I don't I don't I don't pretend to be an expert in this. No, yeah. yeah. But I'm just this is what I'm noticing and this is what I'm hearing from people. Yeah. So it's like that double standard kind of thing. A little bit, yeah. 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 Yep. Which to a certain extent we're all guilty of at some stage. So oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even like you look at the whole like abortion thing and then be like, oh, but I mean, I'm fine with, you know, not having, you know, having cheap clothes that were made in a slave factory or whatever. Exactly. Where people have probably died so that I can have these cheap clothes. You could almost say yeah. to a certain extent that conservative Christianity is the same, is, is a parallel doctrine to capitalism mm. in a way. Hectic. Um, and and in, in an article that I read some time ago by... Um, uh, what's his name? Jonathan Merritt, who's a fairly conservative, not conservative, controversial, sorry, um, writer. He writes for The Atlantic um, and he is pretty famous for getting in Twitter wars with people here, there and everywhere. Uh, so he's got a bit of merit. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> um, I first I first heard Jonathan Merritt. He was a guest on the Bad Christian podcast. and I really enjoyed what he said. He's written a few books, which um, are really interesting. Um, but he wrote this article called The Death of Moral Relativism. 
Um, and he 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 begins with a fairly um, sort of standard uh, statement from Paul Ryan, who um, was the Speaker of the House at the time that he wrote this, um, a Republican. Many of those people who are into American politics know exactly who Paul Ryan is. And he says, if you ask me what the biggest problem in America is, I'm going to tell you. Um, debts, def- debts, deficits, statistics, economics, I'll tell you, it's not any of those things. It's moral relativism. And this is, so this is coming back to the, the Christian, the Western, the conservative viewpoint that if we don't have a moral basis, society is just going to degrade. If we allow people to have their truths while we have our truths and those two truths don't line up and we just coexist in that, in that state of being, then soon it's going to be impossible for people, it's going to be possible for us to evangelize because why would you evangelize somebody who's, moral standing is on the same uh, level of value regardless of what it is mm. so you're you're buddhist i'm christian you're atheist i'm christian if your state of being is just as valuable and just as valid as mine then what place do i have to tell you what you should believe or what you should do and again it's it's this whole society is going to degrade if we allow this to um, become the cultural zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. Mm. Um, and so that's what, that's what conservatives say. And that's what I've, I've heard in a lot of cases. And when I hear that, I often thought, is that the case? Is that actually the case? Because I've never, I've never encountered that in a meaningful way where somebody says your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and we just have to get along and coexist. I've never actually met somebody who lives that fully. Yeah. I think I would agree. Like, I mean, I've met a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, I don't agree, but, um, you know, like sometimes there's people who know they just have to coexist peacefully. So they, you, you have to just say, okay, you believe what you believe. I'm going to believe what I believe. You just don't want to get into a fight. Yeah. But but generally, I find most people, like, they believe something... Beca- <laughs> sounds silly. They believe it because they actually believe in it. Um, mm. And so, they think it's worthwhile sharing. Now, that's, w- yeah. that's what I've found a lot. So, I've found most people seem to want to share what what's going on for them. Um, and they think everybody should think like them. Yeah. I think that's what I've encountered more, just getting to know people. You see that in all sorts of different ways. You see that in fitness, um, health. Yeah, even philosophy. Like you think of the the stereotypical Instagrammer, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. they share this quote: "It changed my life," and it's like the most generic platitude you've ever heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you just have to carpe diem. I just, I just, you just gotta seize the day. Wow. Like you just have to seize the day. Just wow. Oh my gosh, changed have, my life. Have you ever thought about it like that? There's <sighs> a day. And then you just need to <laughs> seize it. <laughs> yeah. So just imagine the day in front of you. Imagine it like a ball. And then just reach out and grab the ball. Seize the day. Carpe diem. <laughs> but I think there is, a, I, there is a valid discussion in all of this. Because whilst I don't think that moral relativity is... Rel- See, now I can't say it. Cult- the cultural moral gurk <laughs> <laughs> 
Doctor. Okay, yeah. Moral relativity. I don't think Moral relativitism. I don't think <laughs> Alright, oh, I'm sorry, alright, let's keep going. I don't think that that is the actual problem here. Okay. Jonathan Merritt definitely doesn't, and I've been feeling this for a while, and reading that article and doing a little bit of extra research outside of just that article has also confirmed in my mind that I don't think that moral relativity is actually the cultural zeitgeist like a lot of conservative Christians say it is. Mm. But it does raise a question, if not that, then what? Ah, interesting. Yeah. What is the actual cultural zeitgeist? What is the actual spirit of the age? What is what is the the moral standard by which society is ordering itself today? Because it's not the same as it was in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s. Even the early 2000s. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're in 2019 now. 20, I think of 2019. Wow. 2019. Wow. <laughs> I wish I wish you could all see his face right now. This is why I wish we went back to filming our podcast, but <laughs> I, I I am now dead inside. Just for Jesse's face. All right. <laughs> when I make a line like that. I think yeah. I just think of the the early 2000s as like the 90s 2.0. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. I have no data to back that up. But I I just think of the early 2000s as like the the, the 90s sequel. You guys can quote him on that. Make make a t-shirt, put it on a coaster, put it on the side of a mug. Hey. <laughs> Anything gets on a quote on a mug. That'll right. that'll be somebody's Instagram philosophy quote. The nineties, <laughs> no, the early two thousands was just the nineties two point <laughs> This quote changed my life. <laughs> Have you ever thought about it this way? <laughs> okay. Um, All right. But I think, and 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 this is kind of oh, this is becoming such a meme. But I actually think the cultural zeitgeist is still evolving. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know, like, and and, and I think that. It's still growing, and I think that we, as a, as the church, as Christians, do have an opportunity to influence what it actually ends up with. And I think, as we mentioned at the beginning, the Christchurch shooting um, really did illustrate how the cultural zeitgeist is changing and 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 moving. Um, you know, like I I noticed from different parts of the world, especially from the U.S., how a lot of people were just like just completely gobsmacked with how the New Zealand government, our prime minister and just all the different um, aid agencies have treated this, this whole catastrophe um, within, I think it was 24 hours of the, the shooting, the government made an announcement that they would be looking at and addressing New Zealand's national gun laws. Yeah. And then just what, yesterday or the day before it's changed. You can't buy, what is it? Semi, semi-automatics. Yeah, you can't get semi-automatics like, here anymore. You just, you just, just like can't. that. It's all changed. It's all different. It's, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it moved so quickly. I've never seen a law move from nothing to change that not quickly. E- not even in the um, the Port Arthur shootings in the 90s in Australia. Like mm. That took a while for the Howard government to actually move. And they did it incredible reforms, but it was still... This was just monumentally fast. Yeah. I mean, New Zealand... I guess New Zealand is a smaller nation, so I guess it, you can move faster. True. And what is it? One... Two thirds of the population live in the top third of <laughs> yes top third of the island and Auckland, you know I mean? it's Auckland <laughs> yeah so yeah maybe maybe you can move things a lot faster rather than Australia where everything is so spread out and That's there's true. just a wasteland in the middle still <laughs> it's still an achievement in yeah my it books. is yeah um but I I think if if we wanna if we wanna actually identify like 
for those of you who are just thinking, well, I, this is really ethereal, airy-fairy. I think there are two really good words to help you guide you through what the cultural zeitgeist is becoming, at least. Um, and those two words, I believe, in my mind, are tolerance and inclusion. Mm. Um, and they've, in some ways, even become dirty words, even in themselves. Yeah. At least we as Christians have kind of made it that way, in, in, in a sense, or at least conservatives have. Um and yeah. there is an irony. There is an irony. Um, what What do you think of when you think of tolerance and inclusion? <laughs> okay, inclusion. I think is something we can all we all seem to get behind um, until we actually have to do it. <laughs> you <laughs> do know what I mean? Um, but I think I think a lot of people are pretty. Yeah, I I feel like tolerance is the harder word because yeah. that seems to have all these connotations. It shouldn't, but I feel like it's had all of these connotations, and then people who claim to be the most tolerant are often the least tolerant and you know what i mean like it's yeah yeah it's it's such a it's such a becomes such a weird word yeah when i think of tolerance so inclusion i definitely like that word a lot more but i know i've seen a lot of struggle with the actual practice of the word tolerance is the one that i still i i love both words i think they're both something that really should be adopted in mm. um, but yeah i know tolerance is the one that i've seen a lot more butting heads about what it looks like to be tolerant Yes, and unfortunately, this whole conversation has been kind of hijacked by the um, sexual orientation conversation yep. in, in the world, and not that this is this is not a, a, a podcast about that, um, but unfortunately, a lot of that does have to do with, again, something which Christians, a lot of Christians hold very dearly, which is a biblically mandated view on sexual orientation and a sexual ethic, um, which obviously in the world that we live in is changing and morphing and has more and more become um, something which you is becoming very difficult to reconcile with a traditional sexual ethic, mm. um, unfortunately, for, for Christians and for this conversation. And that has created a lot of angst and that's created a really in some ways unhelpful conversation around around this idea of what is a proper sexual ethic what is a healthy sexual ethic um and unfortunately a lot of christians just say whatever's in the bible just do that and unfortunately what a lot of left-leaning liberals say well whatever feels right and whatever feels good and whatever seems right that yeah. <laughs> and neither of those are very helpful yeah, both can be radically unhelpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you have like you have two sides of the of the argument and they're both in their corners unwilling to budge. Yeah. Um and as you as you mentioned, Josh, you know, tolerance and, and um inclusion is all very well and good, but as soon as you become the conservative Christian, then suddenly you're being intolerant, you're being exclusionary, and so you become untolerated and excluded. Yeah, by wow. people who preach tolerance and exclusion, mm -hmm. um, and obviously we're still talking in very general terms because it's very difficult to bog into the specifics without making this into something which it's not. Yeah, as soon as we get too specific, then we have to explain everything, and then people get offended and everything. So that's why we're trying to keep it broad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to keep it so you can relate it to whatever you can. You, you if that makes sense, we want you to make the make the specifics relate. Re relative relevant relevant that's it <laughs> to your situation okay yeah all right yeah <laughs> yeah um 
Yeah, so look, what we can say for sure is that the new moral standard is growing, um, that it's still evolving, that it's still it's still being formed. Um, and we might be uh, forgiven for thinking that just tolerance and exclusion, that's just they're nice things that we can just go by. Um, mm. But as we've mentioned, these things are... There's so much nuance in them that it's really hard to just say, well, this is what we have and just drop it, right? right. Yep. It's, it's really hard to just say, you just have to be tolerant and you just have to be inclusive. Um, and we've seen, uh, and probably to put this on a, on, a, on a nice note, because I think it's really important that we mention that the cultural zeitgeist, the moral standard of tolerance and inclusion is not a purely evil thing nor is it a purely good thing. Yeah. It's, in the words of Andy Stanley, it's just a thing thing. (laughs) (laughs) Those are great words. (laughs) I love it. I just, it's like, this is just how culture is right now. This is just how the world is right now. And the temptation, if you're a Christian, is to say, well, that's bad because I can't fit that into my Bible, my little Bible box. Mm. And if you're... Um, if you're somebody who is an atheist or you're on the fringes of faith or you have alternate ideas that don't fit into a conservative viewpoint, you might be like, yes, this is great because this affirms what I already believe and what I already know. Um, and so it, it's it's the temptation, if you're on the winning side, is to accelerate and elevate the cultural zeitgeist in the face of people who don't agree with you. And by the way, that's what happened in Christianity in the 20th century. Because the, the cultural zeitgeist in the 20th century, especially post-World uh, War II, was the rise of evangelicism, the rise of, you know, the great Billy Grahams and John Stotts and, and, and the people who really came to the fore of conservative, fundamentalist Christianity. Um, the 20th century was the time where fundamentalist Christianity was at its peak. Um, it was also, unfortunately, the time where um, segregation and racism, um, institutionalized racism, uh, all that sort of stuff was also at its peak. Mm. And so you had the same Christian leaders who were preaching about the love and, 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 and grace of Jesus, um, but who were also turning a blind eye to the incredible injustices being levied at people of color and of minorities. Um, and so what we have now is we have a cultural zeitgeist that is in almost almost completely a reaction to that. Um, it's almost like the kids of the baby boomers are saying, well, you guys were so intolerant and you were so in uh, exclusive toward people of color, toward minorities, toward people who are gay. Like this is the era where people were taken to camps and hospitals and, and had all these horrible surgeries and treatments and therapies done on them to try and make them straight. Yeah, wow. Um, Where you could be um, beaten up or killed for just not being the right ethnicity. Like, like I'm, I'm painting in very broad terms because I'm trying to talk about the whole world yeah. <laughs> when it's very difficult to do that. Yep. And whereas you may have had this, some really horrible racism going on in the United States, you wouldn't have seen that in the UK or in New Zealand or Australia but it would have been maybe a little bit different or a lo- be a little bit more low-key. And so you have this culture which Christianity was the centerpiece of, you know, America, a Christian nation, you know, 
um, the UK, the birthplace of the Anglican Church and the Church of England, um, and Australia and New Zealand and being colonies of the the British Empire and and Europe being the birthplace of Protestant Reformation um, and Martin Luther and John Calvin, these figures, these movements were the deciding factor. These were what influenced the way society looked like. And today in the 21st century, it's almost like that has completely fallen away. Mm. Christianity, especially Protestant, conservative, fundamentalist Christianity is no longer the driving moral backbone of the West. Yeah. And so the question then is, what do you do about that? Mm. And it seems to me that a lot of people just want to fight it. They want to vilify the culture. They want to make the culture out to be evil and then beg people to make the culture great again. Yeah. But I think... Yeah, realistically, we've seen that culture actually has done things that we haven't expected. Um, you know, they've really, like, I think when we had Caleb Isley on, from the, the guy who runs Humans of Adventism, he shared about how even this day and age, um, the sort of millennial and younger generation, they're drinking and doing drugs and um, having wild sex parties and all that sort of stuff less than previous generations Yeah, at the same age. Um, so they're actually like raising their own standard of behavior, but without, and I, I mean, I personally believe that I guess churches have had a sort of impact in that in a way. Um, but I can't say that we've had all the impact, <laughs> you know, that the whole world, that's what the stats are saying that on average, like our generation, even church or unchurched are drinking less and all that sort of stuff. Um, How else can you explain the meteoric rise of figures like Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson? Yeah conservatives very much conservatives ben ben shapiro is jewish jordan peterson is not really a christian but he kind of gets lumped into that into that pie yeah but neither of them are overtly religious but they are still preaching a message of hope of responsibility of clean your room of uh, facts don't care about your feelings (laughs) you know like they're preaching this they're they're teaching and preaching this message that draws young men especially and young women to who have been maybe burnt out by churches or by overbearing parents or by coddling parents and they're inspiring people to actually take their their lives seriously to do something meaningful in the world Hmm. and i think that's why people look up to them that's why i look up to to jordan peterson um I don't agree with everything that he says. Yeah, same. But but that's uh, that's okay. Yeah, the good stuff he says is so good that I'm I'm willing to <laughs> I had it described to me like this recently. It's like eating a watermelon. You just eat the fruit and spit out the pips. Exactly. <laughs> like, wow, that's really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um all right. So just to just to make a few more really quick illustrations of um, the, the the cultural zeitgeist, and then we'll talk about sort of how how this is going to work out. Um, virtue, authority, and law. This is um, Jonathan Merritt in his in his article says, uh, virtue, authority, law, and order are all in fashion as the bank accounts of Christopher Nolan, J.K. Rowling, and Marvel Comics will attest. There are still plenty of enemies for conservative culture warriors to fight, but relativism is no longer 
one of them. And he brings up a really great point that the, the trends that we see in cinema, in books, are no longer trends of moral relativism. If you were to go and rewatch Harry Potter, you wouldn't wonder if Voldemort was actually right. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you were to go and rewatch The Dark Knight, I think less and less people would actually identify with the points and the ideas of the Joker. Hmm. Um, those films came out of an era where, you know, it was more of a well, let's look at this in a different lens. Let's see the relatable villain as somebody who perhaps isn't beyond redemption but has something interesting to say. And whilst I think that's an interesting thought experiment, I think we're in now in a culture where tolerance and inclusion means that lines are becoming less gray and becoming more black and white. Hmm, interesting. Um, I mean, I, I, I think the J.K. Rowling thing is a bit of a meme right now for, for that exact reason. Tolerance and inclusion has become her, the author, her like entire thing, you know? Yeah, like trying to almost rewrite her books on Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't mention anything about her, the, the sexuality, the race of many of her characters, um, despite them being made into films and her taking a leading role in actually helping those films become films. But now <laughs> she comes out with things like saying that Dumbledore is actually gay yeah. and that Dumbledore and Grindelwald had a passionate sexual relationship. Like, first of all, they're children's books. Yeah, I don't want to know that. I they're children's know. books. <laughs> yeah, why are you saying this? Um, and even her saying like, oh, but, you know, Hermione... She she was at what, what did she say? She was actually, Hermione was black. Yeah, and then could be black. Yeah, she could have been. I didn't say anything about it. And yeah, then, didn't say anything about a race. She could be black. And then somebody sent like a screenshot of like them underlining something in one of the books when it says Hermione's white face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it's like. But I'm just like, oh man. But that's she's trying to like be like, oh look, look how inclusive we are. And, yeah, 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 yeah. After the fact. Yeah. And that's why it rings so hollow because. You're just pandering for the sake of pandering. You're you're trying to make something out of nothing to try and appeal to an audience that probably likes your books and the movies for completely different reasons than you're actually talking about right here. Yeah. Um, we, we saw this as well in um, the recent Captain Marvel film and no spoilers for anybody who um who actually has I haven't seen watched it. it. So, yeah. that's so Josh has yeah. don't you dare spoil <laughs> it for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the look, it was an okay movie. Um Jordan and Scotty from We Movies that we interviewed last week, they did a really great episode on it. I thought it was really interesting and they brought out a lot of the stuff that I thought was a little bit questionable. But and 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 it what's disappointing and Jordan I think summed this up really well, for the first female led Marvel movie he wanted it to be really good so that you could say here's the first female led Marvel movie and it was just a really good movie mm. the direction unfortunately that Marvel and Brie Larson the, the lead um, seems to have taken is this is the first female led movie and if you don't like it it's because you're sexist oh yeah, that's... She, you, you know? Because I was really looking forward to Captain Marvel. I mean, one of my favourite superhero movies of all time is actually Wonder Woman. Yeah. I love that movie yeah. just because 
I mean, just because she's a great hero. Literally, no, like, it was a great hero movie. And Gal Gadot was amazing. Yeah, she was a great actress and the whole thing. I just loved the movies. That's why I was like, when I heard that Marvel were having their first female-led film, I'm like, yeah, sweet. And then to hear all this sort of stuff come out, it's like, whoa, what? Like, it's, it's Yeah, <laughs> it, it is disappointing. It is super disappointing. Um, And, you know, Brie Larson... Uh, in the interviews leading up to and following the release of the film has made that abundantly clear that, hey, um, if you don't like the movie, it's because you're ill-informed or because you're um, intolerant or because of because you're sexist or because um, she made a, a special note in one interview that if the movie did badly, it's because the majority of film reviewers are straight white males. And I'm all for diversity. Yeah. Same. I think a multitude of backgrounds leads to a multitude of learning. Oh, that's good. I like that. Hmm. But saying that a whole bunch of straight white males aren't able to figure out nuance and actually come up with different ideas, thoughts, and reflections on a, a product, a, a film, I think that's just... I, I just don't think that holds water. I don't think that's a good argument. And, and, and I don't think the argument of, of inclusion and tolerance for the sake of it is exceptionally helpful in this day and age, at least. We are becoming a much more multicultural world. By yeah. 2050, the majority of people living inside the United States will have been born outside of the United States. Wow, that's so interesting. The Caucasian race, I say, quote unquote, is actually becoming a minority. Interesting. Um, and that seems to be troublesome to a lot of people. Mm. And I, I don't know if that is okay or not. I don't think it is. I don't think it's okay to be worried about white people being no longer the majority. It's a very imperialistic sort yeah. of response. I'm like, people are people, right? Isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'm not helping. I married an Islander. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, white people. <laughs> you know, Goodness. I say tongue in cheek. But it does, it does lead us to wonder where this is all headed. Hmm. Um, and and if in, ca in case you you guys haven't uh, already figured it out, we don't know where this is headed, but it is an important conversation I think that we need to have as a culture. Um, moral relativism, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as most people are concerned, is not a thing, mm. or at least not the the mainstream thing. No. Yeah, I would say I would say it is a little bit of a thing. Yeah. But not, yeah, I wouldn't say it's the, the, what, zeitgeist, the cultural zeitgeist. I would say, like, it's, it's just how some people live, but not how most would live, I would say. And I would say, as well, we've seen this in the rise of, rise of nationalism, um, especially in America, in Venezuela, we're seeing this at the moment, the political unrest there. Um, we've seen this to a certain degree in the UK over the Brexit Mm. Um, kerfuffle because I don't know how else I can describe it yeah we've seen this somewhat in Australia and somewhat in New Zealand um, is the is the 
emergence of tribes or the re-emergence of tribes as a way of looking at the world. So the way that you can look at that is uh, asking what tribe that you belong to, first of all, and then asking the question, well, how does my tribe actually um, interpret the world? For instance, if you are a conservative white person, and I mean, I hate using these terms, but I have to. If you're a conservative white person, you're living in the West, chances are the sorts of television that you like to consume, the sort of books that you like to read, the sort of um, political um, candidates that you resonate most with are somewhat fixed. I say somewhat because obviously you can't just say that as a blanket statement. Um, in many parts of the world, your political affiliation, your social affiliation is and has been for millennia determined by what tribe you belong to. Um, if you are of a certain ethnicity, you vote this way. If you are of a certain um, religion, you believe this on a social issue. One of the things that Adventism has done, the tribe that we kind of belong to, is that a lot of people within Adventism believe that if you have a Bible and a concordance, then everybody will come to the same conclusion about what the Bible actually says. And so we have this tribal sort of impulse that is kind of become a contrarian a thing to tolerance and inclusion because tribal impulse says that whatever I come up with is correct because that's what my tribe says is correct. Mm. And so we've come to this place where a lot of people who are more conservative become more tribal because they are. it's a reaction against things like globalism of the, the fact that we are a global community and a lot of people like that feeds into a lot of conspiracy theory yeah. as well. Um, and so tribalism has kind of also become now a reaction from tolerance and inclusion because tribalism basically preaches that when I'm in my tribe with my people and we all believe the same thing and we all hold to the same values, then I find safety, security, and comfort. Um, mm. And so if I feel like I'm being threatened, I can put myself into a tribe and we can, we can protect each other from the threat, whatever that threat may be. Right. Whereas a healthier approach <laughs> would probably be to, what, talk it out? You know, like finding people who might see it differently from you and hearing it from their perspective and building your perspective. You might still be right in the end, which is great. Yeah. Um, but you might need to adjust some things. You might need to readdress why you think what you think. Um, A great example is what's happening right now in, in New Zealand. Um, what's that, what's that the catchphrase, the motto that's kind of been like the... This is not who we are, New Zealand? Or Kiakaha? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's the... Oh, um, it's the it's it's the recognition that we are all one. That you know, just because you're not Muslim doesn't mean that you can't commiserate and you can't empathize with your brother and sister. Like that, we are still New Zealanders living here together. Hmm. Um, and Jacinda Ardern has been a really um, inspiring advocate for that. Um, when the when the tragedy first struck, um her appearance 
a lot of her public appearances were in headscarves. Yeah, it was incredible. She's not. She's. I think she's agnostic or atheist. Oh, I thought she was Anglican. Oh, I'm not. But quite I don't sure. know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, could be wrong. Need to double check that. But I'll do a fact check right now. She's definitely not Muslim. <laughs> is is the yeah, point? Yeah. Is the point? And yet, in this um, in this sort of uh, show of solidarity, um, she uh, puts on and 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 exhibits this cultural symbol. Sorry, just found out she was raised as Mormon. But she was raised as Mormon. Yeah, but then now she's agnostic. Yeah, okay. so she left and said it conflicted with her her views on certain things. And now she's uh, agnostic. So there you go. Okay. So she's not religious. Yeah. Is the point. Yeah. And yet she does this. And, and, and I think a lot of people have been taking their cues from, from our leader in the way that they respond to, to this whole tragedy, which is to recognize that whilst I may not be Muslim, that I am you and you are me. Mm. And we are brothers. We are sisters. We are part of a great Fano. Um, oh, Fano means family for yeah. those who are outside of New Zealand. <laughs> Learn it; it's beautiful. It is. It is beautiful. But then, on the flip side, when it comes to tribalism, the response that some conservative Christians have made has illustrated how this can be a little bit poisonous. And Brian Tamaki, who is a prominent—for those of you who don't know him—a prominent sort of Pentecostal evangelical Christian leader in New Zealand. Um, runs one of the biggest churches here, is infamous for making controversial statements, made a somewhat controversial statement. Today, of this rec- the day of this recording, mm. there are prayers being held all around New Zealand in solidarity with our Muslim brothers and sisters. They're Muslim prayers. And everybody around the country has been encouraged, if you can, to participate in the in the prayers Brian Tamaki took issue with this because I mean within within the 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 creed of the Islamic faith is the statement that Allah alone is God and he's like well hang on oh, we're a Christian nation that's not right and so he's encouraging people not to attend these or to I don't know. I don't think he's. I don't think he's encouraging them to protest or anything like that. But he's protesting, and there's not a great deal of thought that goes into a statement like that because he's basically just looking at that, taking it for face value, and then asking, "What does my tribe say?" And in Brian's case, his tribe is the tribe that he's kind of created around his cult of personality, and he said, "Well, my tribe doesn't agree with with that tribe." Let's uh, let's 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 uh, let's kick some fuss up. And I could be grossly misreading the, the situation, but in what I've noticed, a lot of people are not too happy with these sorts of statements because, I mean, they're not very empathetic, first of all, and they're yeah. kind of making drama out of something where there is no drama mm. in this whole thing. But what it does illustrate is that tribal politics and tribal affiliations go very deep for a lot of people and efforts to actually break down those tribal barriers can be very painful for people um i think as well in in terms of the way that the adventist tribe operates i mean for for ever since our inception we have lived under sort of i don't know if it's a false assumption or a false impression that 
we are somehow wildly different from every every other Christian. Yeah. Well, I think in a in a time we were, but now a lot a lot of people have adapted similar thoughts to us on similar topics. There's no one, no other denomination that's exactly like us. But, no. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people now believe a lot of similar things to us. I mean, the amount of church conferences I've been to where people have talked about a health message in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like people have talked about the second coming of Jesus or, you know, people have talked about the Sabbath. They might not see it exactly the same as us, but I don't think when we first started, it was like that. But funnily enough, one of the like most common questions I get as a pastor, maybe you get this too, Jesse, is people coming up and saying, hey, pastor, what do we believe on this? It's such a tribal question, eh? Like, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's not what do I believe or I'm actually struggling yeah. with this. Can you help me to figure out what I where I stand on this issue? Yeah. It's, what does the tribe say? What does the tribe say? And that's and the tribe to to a certain extent encourages that line of thinking. Yeah. And I get it. I get the like I get the I'm not having a go at those people. I get what they're what they're trying to do. They're just trying to understand the Adventist stance on things and whatever. But I mean they've just we don't have a stance on everything. I no. mean probably hopefully never will because <laughs> that's well, too complicated. But I think a lot of it comes down to, well, what is the stance on this so that I know where I can stand so I don't have to do too much thinking about it, so I can just feel safe within my tribe. Yeah. And Man, there are a multitude of reasons why that's just not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are encouraged to grow as human beings by God. And in fact, he put faculties in place. That means that we're not tiny babies our entire life. You know, we actually grow, we develop, we go through puberty, we, we age, we do all that sort of stuff. And so I think inherent in that is the idea that as we grow physically, we are supposed to grow mentally and spiritually and emotionally like yeah and a lot of people are just happy with staying within that tribal framework which encourages as we talked about in the different stages of faith like many episodes ago that so many people just stay in that i think it's stage three that sort of like yeah. tribal like this is what everybody here believes i'm just going to stay within here i'm not going to rock the boat sort of mm. way of thinking um and for many people that is also the case if you are a liberal um, sort of, you know, like sexual identity is like a big deal for you, then that's going to color the way that you look at everything. Everything yeah. is going to be about that in the same way that as a Christian, everything is about what does God think? What does the Bible say? And again, I'm not saying those are bad questions, but it's difficult to engage with the world when all you can see is the lens through which your tribe sees. Yeah, everything. it's like tunnel vision. Hmm. Yeah. So, I think what would be a helpful way to round off this conversation is to ask you, dear listener, to think about, first of all, what tribe do you belong to? If you belong to a tribe. And what's interesting, what's encouraging, at least for me, is within big tribes, there are smaller tribes. Yeah. Sub-tribes. So, exactly. So just because we, Josh and I, are part of this giant Seventh-day Adventist tribe doesn't mean that that is the generic label that we identify with. Hmm. And as much as we are proud to be Adventists, like like we're still Adventists, if we didn't want to be Adventists, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, we probably wouldn't be working for the denomination. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but even within that, there are parts of that tribe that we don't agree with and we've mentioned that many times on this podcast, 
But within that tribe, there are other tribes that I think we identify with on a more per- personal level. Yeah. Um, I think of the growing podcasting scene and the conversations that's coming out of that. Yeah, we're pretty much becoming our own sub-tribe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, just to podcasters. And I mean, some people might even say that I'm part of the Burn the Haystack tribe. Exactly. I don't know what that is because <laughs> I don't think we're defined enough. But yeah, you know, like... <laughs> yeah. We're coming out with our creed uh, next episode. <laughs> it's going to be a 29-point uh, plan. <laughs> Just one point up, you know. Just one point up. Yep. Um, so first, it's really helpful to ask what tribe do I belong to? Um, because we all do, kind of. And even though it's sometimes it's just like, well, this is just how the world is. Is it? Or is it the way that you're seeing the world? Mm. Um, and then the next question is, as you run into people in your everyday life, people who don't look the same as you, who don't sound the same as you, who don't um, walk and talk the same as you, instead of just going, oh man, they're wrong, or oh man, they're right, Maybe a more helpful question would be, okay, well, I wonder what tribal affiliation they belong to. Is it the conservative Christian? Is it Muslim? Is it agnostic? Is it the tolerance and inclusion tribe? Is it, what? what, what is it? Mm. And then that should give you some clues about how best to relate to that person. Because if you're just speaking the language of your tribe, man, a lot can get lost in translation. Yeah. Seriously. What might be meant as something positive or innocuous could come across as grossly offensive to somebody who doesn't speak the same language as you. Yeah. And this is sort of why this whole concept of this episode is important. We actually have to learn the language and the thoughts of the world around us. Um, And I guess from a missional perspective, it's so we can speak to it. You can't speak to a tribe unless you know their language. Yeah, that's just fact. That's how missionaries would roll. They would learn. They were basically, um, you know, some of the best anthropologists out because they would go in, learn everything about a tribe and then speak to it in their language. And that's exactly what we still need to keep doing today. And ultimately, we're not called as Christians to vilify the culture. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save it. Mm. And that, I believe, is the, the pedigree of our calling as followers of Christ, yeah. to understand the culture, to speak the language of the culture so that the culture can actually turn to us and receive what we have to say to it in a positive sense. Yeah. Um, and as we've said in this podcast many times before, there's so much about Christianity. There's so much about Adventism that is so just like the culture needs it so much. Yeah. And yet we're speaking this language that the culture cannot receive because we're speaking it in a way that puts people off, that puts us on the sidelines, that that just completely turns people away from the goodness and the richness and the amazingness of what our message has to say. Yeah. That's a really good note to end on, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that is um, our conversation on um, cultural zeitgeists, on moral relativity, um, <laughs> on the early 2000s being the 90s 2.0. <laughs> this, this episode really had everything. Like, yeah. what, what more can you wish for? 
<laughs> maybe Seriously. We should, maybe we should break this up into a 10-part mini-podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Three <laughs> minutes <laughs> each. There were so many topics, but we covered it. So let us know your thoughts, please. Send us a message. Um, send us snail mail, whatever you want. Um, but uh, if you want to know any more about us, just make sure you go to our website, burnthehaystack.org. Um and if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast and whatever podcatching app that you use and leave us a review. Review yep. us. In Please. fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read one of our reviews right now Man, because... The reviews that we get are just the most amazing reviews from the most amazing people in the world. They make you physically more attractive. It's, this is a fact. This is a Facts, s- like, people. This is Facts. scientific data. <laughs> <laughs> this is not hyperbole at all. Okay, hang on. It's not. A- okay, there we go. Um, all right. So, uh, this, 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 this review. Love the genuineness and banter of these guys. They offer challenging concepts and are challenging people to think, okay, their own, not just accept the norm. That is by Bose Doesn't Care. Bose Doesn't Care. I care about you. Yes. So, you know, if you if you leave a review, we might just feature it on here. So, Heck yeah. there you go. If you leave a meme review, that would be even better. <laughs> just write something crazy and then maybe write in it that you love us because we love you and we will love you back if you write something like that. Yep. You can even make memes, uh, you know, about the early 2000s being the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's it. <laughs> okay. That is Josh and Jesse out. Thank <laughs> you.